Hello and welcome to another episode of How We Got Here, a podcast from Non-Doc Media and FKG Consulting. Today we are live, uh, well I guess we're not live, we're recording this now, aren't we, on Thursday at the State Capitol, but we are at the State Capitol, that's the important part. Uh, and we are in a room 231, uh, which we reserved. Uh, pro tip, if you're at the Capitol and you need uh, to reserve a room real quick, go to your legislator and ask them uh, to reserve your room. Um, so we're in room 231, which is behind the old Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, there uh, is a lot going on. This is a deadline week. Um, and so we're going to talk about uh, the last week or so, this week and, and last week, what has happened. Uh, since the teacher walkout had concluded. And then if you stick around with us at the end, we've got a little fun Easter egg for you. Uh, there'll be about a minute or two minutes at the end of State Representative Mickey Dollins uh, telling the story that I learned yesterday uh, that in 2009, he took and won the 72-ounce steak challenge at that steakhouse in uh, Amarillo, the big outside, yeah, the, the big, big Texan. Texan. Yeah. So, are 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 you um, now stating for the record that you you're going to now take it because of the story he's told he's been gracious enough to tell you the story? I think it's only appropriate, Trace, that you actually do the challenge at some point in time in the future. I don't think that I'm still waiting to fill out, um, so I don't know that I have the um, intestinal fortitude or the the mental toughness to take that. He was a pro, I'm sorry, a college football player, so. Um, he had more experience eating. Quickly, since we've got um, a couple, uh, we always have different folks on the podcast today. I want to just go around. We have Brian Freed as, uh, I think always, you've been on every episode. I believe so. So that's his voice. And then we've got Spencer Gwynn, who this is his third episode, maybe fourth? Yeah, something like that. I'm something sure. like that. And then we have making his inaugural appearance here, uh, Ryan Kilpatrick of FKG. Thanks. It's a great honor to be alongside you, esteemed gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> thanks so much. It's taken, Ryan. It's, it's, taken a, uh, it's taken Ryan a while to earn the spot on the yeah. microphone, so we'll see how he does. So uh, so we've got a lot that we're going to cover today just about what's happened in the last um, few days. And we're going we're gonna to go over a few bills. We're going to talk about Senate Bill 1212, Senate Bill 888, and Senate Bill 1140. So those of you uh, scoring along at home, you can go to oklegislature.gov and look those up as we go. But basically, let's start with Senate Bill 1212. Uh, it is the constitutional carry um, uh, bill. It was amended in the House to uh, include that language, which is uh, the idea that you would not need to have any sort of licensure to uh, pack a pistol on your hip or carry any sort of, I think, long gun as well, uh, just around, around town. Um, and that has been very controversial. Uh, one of you guys was saying that the NRA just chimed in and, and endorsed or supported it. I want to defer to Spencer. He's our Second Amendment expert. So, yeah, I don't know if the NRA has actually endorsed it. I know that they're they're playing in that issue in this this building and that they've encouraged it. I I'm not for sure that they have come out publicly and said that they wanted that bill heard. Although I'd be surprised to to see if they did not say that. Um, I assume that what they will be doing is is using that bill as a uh, part of their scorecard for the upcoming election cycle to rate um, uh, legislators on how NRA they are, um, uh, whatever whatever they use to, to do that. I'm not for sure for certain, but but um, I, I I do know that that has been stated inside this building to. To legislators at the NRA will be using that bill to to score. In my mind, that's pretty much 
um, them playing in that bill. And, and, and I think there, you know, there are some the, some politics at play here to some extent. Number one, I think it's pretty fascinating to look across the country, depending on where you live, what state you are, as to what direction uh, legislative bodies are going on issues like this. And obviously, being in a conservative state. Uh, this is uh, this is the the product in Oklahoma Uh, but I think also in light of some of the votes that have occurred here in the in this legislative session that some conservative members are going to be labeled as you know too liberal raise taxes do those type of things there's a few items that I think we'll probably talk about today uh, and this is one of those that I think that they're trying to beef up their conservative credentials so sure yeah, it's, it's also those are also happening right at deadline day, um, the final week of the deadline period, um, just before they begin to kind of round the corner of what's traditionally the end of session. So um, I, I think that what also supports what Brian is is saying. I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, it was it was said to me in not a tongue in cheek manner. Uh, yesterday that they were going to hear uh, this bill on constitutional carry and then the the wind bill which we'll talk about in a minute but it was and then then there was an also a thing about fetuses i think yeah, an abortion related measure last night uh, so right. i mean it's we were kind of getting a range of issues that may be of interest to primary voters uh, on the conservative side so i think that's, that's something we're seeing ahead of this deadline and it was said to me by a house republican that said well hey let's it's it's time to go take some uh, earn some primary votes so that was you know, in this building, I think there are things that are sometimes not big secrets, um, things that maybe we all see as people who are here regularly and how the politics of that plays out that the public might see and think, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, the main thing that they're focused on or whatever. And, and not that doesn't absolve the idea that there's a bill being up there that probably isn't actually going to become law, um, but that's going to be. Uh, have a vote on to help or hurt people uh, in in elections. Um, that bill in particular, Senate Bill 1212, kind of maybe the last thing we need to say about it is it since it was amended in the House, uh, started in the Senate, but it was amended in the House, it will have to go back to the Senate uh, for either acceptance or rejection of Senate amendments if they even consider it at all. Um, there's there's some rumblings that they they probably won't even try to consider it because it puts some people on votes they don't want to do and and frankly is it something that uh senate leadership really believes that we need to have more people walking down the street with with you know uh, weapons without any licensure or training yeah and we'll get into this more later i think but with with the amount of time we have left left in session being potentially condensed as well um, whether or not there's an appetite to take up measures that may take up a considerable amount of, amount of time on the floor is, is another issue, just a sheer amount of time they have left to take up measures and get through the process here. So. I think that one took about an hour yesterday, but the one we're getting ready to talk about, uh, Senate Bill 888, uh, took about three and a half hours. It, I joked on Twitter that it took so long that my battery on my computer went from 100% to 0% and two of my fantasy baseball players got injured uh, in the time that it took for, for them to consider that bill. Um, and uh, and my team is doing pretty decent, actually. So uh, I don't know about you guys. You're in a different league. Uh, I should have joined that league. It would be good for the podcast. You absolutely should have. I want I, to make that happen. I know I'm ahead of Brian right now, so that's all that really matters. Good. Um, uh, so Senate Bill 888, this is a very contentious bill. And this is the elimination of the refundability of tax credits for zero emission wind uh, facilities in the state of Oklahoma. So just... 
can one of you gentlemen give a little uh, overview of what the tax credit issue is before we kind of get into the politics of it? What, what are we talking about? We're talking about companies that have built projects in Oklahoma, and up until about a year or so ago, um, they could qualify for 10 years worth of uh, tax credits that were initially transferable, meaning they could swap them with other companies who had tax liability in the state of Oklahoma, um, but now they're refundable. And so even if a company, say, doesn't have a, a corporate income tax liability in the state, they can still claim these credits and get millions of dollars potentially in return. Is that right? What yeah, I think I think maybe the the easiest way, because it really gets really confusing for, I think, listeners that are not used to understanding how tax policy works, uh, because tax policy is about the most confusing policy there is. M maybe the, the easiest way to explain it is, is that the way in which, in essence, the production tax credit in Oklahoma works is that the state of Oklahoma pays wind developers to create energy in essence and the way in which they uh they earn credits in order for how much energy they produce if you owe taxes to the state of oklahoma then you can offset th uh, those uh and essentially erase all of, all of your taxes and even going beyond that uh, uh if you don't even owe any taxes then the state of oklahoma will actually write you a check for the amount of credits that you have earned so when they talk about refundability that means going beyond the actual taxes that you owe so for instance uh, i think probably two of the larger players in the state of oklahoma are the utilities that are in uh have wind development projects pso and og and e they will have lots of tax liability in the state they can use these credits to help offset the tax that they owe the state uh, but for many other wind developers who do not have any tax liability in the state the state of Oklahoma is actually uh, writing checks to those companies for the amount of credits that they've actually earned. The tax commission uh, has uh, stated that we pay these kind of on the back end, meaning that we're always about a year and a half behind. Uh, for for last year, the, the credits that have just have been paid out totaled um, over seventy million dollars uh, on on this credit alone. So it has become costly, and in this environment in which uh, you know. Pretty much they have gone after uh, everything from Amazon to oil and gas to cigarettes to anyone else to try to raise revenue. Uh, this is kind of consistent with the theme of this session of trying to find, uh, you know, additional revenue. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the real interesting thing here is um, that the, the wind groups uh, that are most affected by this are ones that have already developed in the state of Oklahoma. Um, there are... I, there's an article on Nondoc, uh, folks can look it up, kind of talking about how there are sort of old wind projects that exist currently that are at maybe at the tail end of these credits or, um, you know, some of them may still have another nine years left. Uh, and then there are also new potential wind developments that would be coming in and not getting any state tax credits. They would still get federal tax credits, um, such as the Windcatcher project you mentioned, PSO. That's going to be the second largest wind farm in the world, the largest in the United States. Uh, if it's approved by the Corporation Commission, that'll be in the Panhandle. And, but they wouldn't get any of these state tax credits. Um, in in all of this debate, um, this sort of your legacy wind. Am I going to coin a new term that's going to make everybody mad in this building? That your 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 older wind projects, your older 
wind companies that have been here um, have not wanted these credits to be uh, touched in some ways because they're related to the financing of the projects at hand. Sure. Many times these projects are built and then sold, um, but it's certainly something where, hey, if you if you made a 10, 20 year business investment within the state of Oklahoma, knowing that you were going to get these credits as a result of the energy you generated, that was built into the idea of coming to Oklahoma, all the work you had to do on the front and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. On, on the other hand, there's the argument that, well, the state is essentially cutting a check to a company that you know, is still producing electricity, selling the electricity, making its own money, et cetera, et cetera. And in a time where we're trying to raise money for teachers and all these sorts of things, we need to do something about that. So I say all of that to the, about a week ago, the whole situation was, if, if there's gonna be something done to wind, to put wind skin in the game, or wind skin, breezy wind, breezy, breezy skin, I don't know, some, there's something in here, right? Um, that if you're going to make a pound of of breezy flesh that's what that's what it was uh if if we're going to get our pound of flesh from wind as a state then we can either go after these credits that exist for the next nine or ten years or we can try to create some sort of gross production tax uh, on new projects or as these old projects get re-signed for new leases and stuff like that um, I don't know if I did a great job explaining that, but uh, let's talk about how um, the, the the wind coalition, the main folks who wanted to win, they wanted to go with the generation tax um, and not touch the credits. Other folks, and I think Spencer, you you feel this way pretty strongly. Other folks wanted to go after the credits. So where, how did that conversation go? Let, I'm going to say something because I want Spencer to answer that question. But I I, I didn't I didn't I don't th I want to close the loop on my explanation really quick because I think this is an important distinction. Those credits that I talked about just a few minutes ago are good for ten years for for a project, and the the wind uh, industry will would say and we should point out that the the uh, legislature has done away with those credits going forward and so right. they so it is fair to say the credits have been eliminated however all of the developments that are in existence today that qualified for those qualified for 10 years so the state of oklahoma will still be paying these out up until 2028 and that is, uh, and, and we should also mention, in addition to their, the state uh, uh, general fund paying out for property tax, another tax credit on the wind that that's for five years, uh, that those two credits have been eliminated, but the state is still paying those out. And so uh, you, it, it is, this is one of those situations where one side says we're still paying out credits and the other side say the credits have ended. Both are correct. Uh, right. and, and so, but I think that's a fair distinction. Uh, but I think Spencer uh, it probably can do a, jo a good job of explaining well, about me, what some of these proposals. Yeah, so, so let me go back from from even further than that. In two thousand and one, um, the the zero emission tax credit was was enacted by the Oklahoma Legislature and signed by the governor, and it gave a production tax credit, um, a credit on the production of electricity. That credit was. And, and I don't remember exactly what the, the length of that initial credit was, but it was either seven or eight years, somewhere around there. That credit was renewed in 07, 08, something along those lines. Um, the renewal of the credit was then um, renewed again in the 2013 session to begin um, the, the 
the fiscal, the, the calendar year 2014. Prior to that, from 2001 to the end of 2013, the tax credit was a transferable or a sellable tax credit. So if I owned a, a wind turbine and produced X million dollars per year worth of, of tax credit, I could take and sell that tax credit on the open market if I found someone who was willing to buy it at a certain percentage of the value of it to reduce their own income tax liability. That was the way the tax credit worked. In the 2013 uh, session, uh, when the credit was renewed, the idea was let's make these credits refundable so that we can really truly track how much we're spending on these credits. Um, the, the credits became refundable at 85% of their value. Let's just use a, a quick, easy example. Let's say you produced $10 million worth of tax credits. You had a million dollars worth of tax liability. Um, you took 85% of $9 million in a check back from the state of Oklahoma for that refundable tax credit. That's just the easy math on it and would tell you exactly how much those developers received back from the, from the state. Um, that is when the explosion in the cost to the state occurred. Prior to that, there were people or companies who were just reducing their tax liability rather than getting a, um, uh, getting a, um, a, a check back from the state for the value of the remaining credit. What happened this session, what, what, what has gone on since then is a discussion in earnest around whether or not that's the right policy. In, in between those two times was when the it was sunset that there will be no that's more correct. new credits, but there's still the, over, the, the in, overlapping in 20, 10 years. In 2015, there was a bill passed that ended their five-year ad valorem credit. Um, and sometime, I believe, at the end of the year 2021 is when that credit ends. So for the first five years of the life cycle of a wind development, the state pays the ad valorem taxes to the local county, who then disperses them appropriately according to statute. Um, and, and that ended in 15, I believe it was, and will officially end the payout in 2021. Which is so a whole a whole separate it's a whole deal separate with, issue. with wind. But, but you get to, to, to the current day. Um, and you get to the debate on, yeah, you, on this. Right. You, so you, in the current day in the debate, and, and, and so we've, we've ended the zero emission tax credit effective July 1, 2017. Uh, any turbine that goes in the ground post July 1, 2017 doesn't qualify for it. Anything that was already on in the ground and operating prior to that qualifies for the credit, gets it for 10 years. So the Wind Coalition came forward with a group of legislators who, who, who tend to support the Wind Coalition's efforts and said, let's enact a tax effective July 1, 2019 of $1 per megawatt hour, which is approximately 20% of the value of the credit that they received from the state. And let's say that any turbine that goes into the ground effective after July 1, 2019 has to pay a production tax for the amount of electricity that that turbine generates. Um, the tax fiscal estimate by the uh, tax commission on that was difficult to, um, to determine simply because how do you predict the future? And, and the fact that you add a, a production tax onto new development potentially means there isn't as much development as there could be. So it was hard to score it in terms of the, what revenue. The, the argument was made that the wind catcher project 
will generate X million, I think it was $9 million was what they, was what their estimate was. However, there's no guarantee that the Windcatcher project will even be built. There was an article in the paper today about how um, the owner of the Windcatcher project has brought an alternative solution to the table to the Corporation Commission to see if they can get beyond that hurdle. The, the, the groups who have concerns about the cost of the, of the zero emission tax credit came forward with a number of proposals. Let's do a tax that gets every turbine in the ground now from the beginning of, of when the development of wind began in Oklahoma to in the future, let's just establish a tax. Let's, let's, let's do it fair, treat every turbine appropriately, correctly. Let's put a cap on the payout um, you can do a hard cap a soft cap a hard cap would just say this is all we'll spend per year and we're done a soft cap would allow them to accrue the credits until all the credits are paid out well where we ended up and i think this is actually kind of um, a, a, a good lesson and a study in how politics kind of works today we ended up kind of in this zero-sum game we ended up in this situation where we have the proposal by the wind coalition which is nothing that is currently operating today only future projects will be taxed versus this other proposal which is to take away the refundable component of the zero emission tax credit so you go back to 2014 or 2013 when they created the refundable tax credit and how that works again let's say you create 10 million dollars you have a million dollars worth of tax liability and then you go get a check from the state worth 85 percent of the nine million dollars that's the piece that goes away if Senate Bill 88 passes. You can still use the million dollars worth of the 10 that you generated to write down your tax liability to zero, but you can't get the refundable piece. And that's the piece that the wind industry, wind coalition has a problem with. And, and of course they would. I mean, that, that affects their, their bottom line. I don't think there's anybody who would, who would question that. It also affects the state's bottom line. It affects how much money the state has to spend between now and 2027, as Brian pointed out. It's not what the Wind Coalition would want you to believe, that the credit has ended. They still have nine or ten more years of it, and that's where we are today. So I think that a, a, a important thing to note, I remember if, if we were listening, I, I said Senate Bill 1212, the guns bill was amended in the House, now has to go back to the Senate. The same thing applies to this Bill 888 on the Absolutely. wind situation. Let's say we don't know whether that's going to happen. It might be Monday, uh, the day that you might be listening to this. Uh, but there's also been the Wind Coalition has been very clear that they will file lawsuit uh, saying that this is an unconstitutional uh, going back on the, the word, the promise, the agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Ryan, what have, have you heard kind of about uh, the, the potential for, for lawsuits? Some people say, hey, we think the state will win. Uh, a lot of other people say, no, the, the wind companies will win. You know, I think that's something you always hear. Um, anytime we're dealing with a tax incentive or tax credit, that's continually an argument against the capital for any type of reform. And it's always becomes the battle of, are, is this something that's going to be challenged in court, or is this can you bind a future legislator legislatures on something that was passed and is in a continuing ongoing program? In this case, we're talking about something that's extended ten years out in the future. Um, that was certainly something brought up on the floor during debate that this is going to be something the state's going to have to deal with in, in, in a lawsuit um, potentially down the road. I don't, you know, I, I'll leave that to someone with a, a much uh, higher degree of a legal mind to determine what what that would be. Um, what the chances of that going forward, and whether or not this will um, be uh, be ruled a or be ruled constitutional, but 
I, I certainly think this is not not a conversation that's finished, regardless of whether 888 goes forward and passes the Senate and is signed by the governor, or if this is a, something that we continue to see in future sessions. And I think that uh, you brought a point, Trace, that is I- interesting here, and that is as the as the wind profession in Oklahoma has grown, become more robust, more developers. What you really saw during this fight was that the wind coalition was was really pushing. Uh, for that proposal that would only tax new turbines coming after that are not in the ground today. So you ended up with a little bit of a fight inside the wind industry between old wind and new wind. Uh, And, you know, I think the new wind developers, uh, those that have projects that they're working on, uh, probably felt a little... Uh, like there was an that proposal was a little unfair considering number number one they don't qualify for the credits and number two they would have had to be the only one that would have had to pay the tax so uh, for the first time I think you know we talk a lot about how oil and gas industry the big guys and the little guys sometimes fight uh, and we saw the first time this year where the wind wind companies are starting to see a little bit of that themselves and and one thing I think that may be important out of this conversation too is something we've heard kind of tossed out about the passage of the revenue bill in special session, but it's, it's something that hasn't been done in 20 years or in more than 20 years in Oklahoma. But a veto referendum is something we could also see on this front. Um, you know, there's that's I've heard that just from a couple conversations, um, and that's essentially like putting a state question on the ballot um, through a referendum process, except it only requires half the signatures you would need to get a statute on the ballot. So about 41,000. That's interesting. That could that, so this this fight could go even further. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Senate Bill 888. Any final thoughts? I'm going to move on to yeah. another bill. Yeah, real quick. I, I'm not I'm not an attorney, and I and I'm not. I, I just I just want to say this. There is precedent for repealing a refundable tax credit and the court upholding that. That so, was with the earned income yeah, tax yeah, credit with, on a, yeah. on it. But I, and, and I think there's also argument that maybe that's not the exact same. That's why people, uh, get paid, uh, more I, money than I, I do. You, I don't know, uh, well, well, to, I, to, to do legal. What um, I was, what I was going to say, what I was going to say is I think Ryan's exactly right. There's precedence that has been set by the court that has upheld the repeal of a refundable tax credit, but it is questionable as to whether or not that applies, whether or not there's enough similarities in in the way these two credits work and how the court would rule. And I I think that, to Ryan's point, this issue is far from over. Um, I, I, I suspect that if 888 passes and the governor signs it, that there will be a um, uh, some potential legal challenges, but this issue is is far from over. The good news for the wind industry is that um, they have arrived, if you will, and they will now um, be a group who is regulated very similarly, my guess is, over time, like the oil and gas industry is, and treated in a similar form or fashion. Um, they'll have to engage in, in capital uh, operations and, and have teams out here representing their interests for quite some time. Yeah, well, and I, I, I think they, they already do, and I think that... Um, Probably the biggest lobbying group in, in, of any it, industry it's in a, Oklahoma. It's, it's similarly in, in size to oil and gas, uh, even though it's a much newer um, much newer um, industry. Uh, industry here in the state of Oklahoma. Okay, so we're talking about the constitutionality of uh, 888 on the wind stuff. Uh, that's a good segue to Senate Bill 1140, which... Um, uh, had some potential constitution constitutionality questions as well. I think I'm just going to kind of really quickly go over that. Uh, about 30, 45 minutes ago, the House um, advanced that. That bill 
is uh, pretty controversial. It relates to adoption in the state of Oklahoma uh, as it relates to the ability for adoption agencies, uh, which many of which are faith-based. Uh, there are various rules you have to be to be an adoption agency. Uh, but if, if, if I'm a, an entity that goes out and, tr and, and has contracts with the state to uh, allow us to find adoptive families for kids in foster care, um, who, who need adoption, uh, then the question is, uh, c can I um, choose certain people to exclude from the criteria uh, or the options for me to adopt out to families? That's a fancy, that's a terrible way of me saying that this bill was trying to allow uh, faith-based organizations to have a religious objection to adopting to certain folks, specifically uh, same-sex families. And if you have any uh, background in constitutionality, you know that uh, you, you can't take federal money and uh, quote-unquote discriminate based on uh, uh, gender and um, uh, LGBT status and those sorts of things. So that just passed in the, uh, in the House. It also has to go back to the Senate as uh, uh, having been amended. Uh, but it was amended in a way that said uh, if you're an agency that takes uh, federal funding uh, for, for doing adoption services, that these protections, this ability to exclude certain people from consideration shall not apply to you. So functionally, it guts the bill. Um, you guys, you may not know a whole lot about the bill, but can you talk about the process? There's a lot of interesting ways that people, quote unquote, kill legislation. Um, and this is kind of one where you, would, where you amend it so it passes and people get to vote for it in theory, but it really doesn't actually do anything. I remember uh, when we made English the official language of Oklahoma, uh, but the, 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 they had a really interesting thing back in like 2009 where they yeah. it actually didn't happen. They changed yeah. the language. So uh, give us give the listener two minutes of talking about all the fascinating ways that you can kill something up here. Well, I think, you know, in this case, what you're alluding to is the, you know, I'm not an expert on this piece of legislation, so I don't even want to act like that I am. I will say that there are some in the business community that are really concerned about this bill and, um, you know, have voiced their concern over it. Uh, but also, it's important to point out that the Senate author is Senator Treat, who's a very powerful member of the Oklahoma Senate. And this has been a priority bill for him to try to move uh, through. And so, uh, I, know, I know that he was certainly, um, you know, hopeful that this would have passed with his original language in it. Uh, what you're alluding to is it was amended to, in essence, uh, kind of take away the original intent of the bill, so the so the law could pass, but but in practical terms, it probably would have very little impact. Right. Uh, and that's one way that you can you can do that on bills. Uh, you can you can do procedural moves uh, here that would also uh, you know, take take titles off of bills, which is a whole, whole nother conversation that can slow it down, slow the process down. Uh, you know, you can you can put language in bills that says upon the availability of funds when funds may never be available for certain purposes. So you know, there are a lot of ways 
that you can keep an idea alive, allow members to vote on something, but in, in all practical terms, uh, there's not a lot of teeth to the actual actual bill. So I'm not sure that this this is over. Uh, although you know we're getting down towards potentially uh, closer to the end of session, and this bill does have to go back to the Senate, and Senator Treat will be faced with either accepting the amendments that were adopted on the House, or he can try to go to a conference committee and try to change it change it again. Adopted on the House. I like that. Good work. Okay, so another segue. We're talking about the end of session. Typically, session ends uh, the end of May, you know, three weeks into May, something like yeah, that. Last Friday, last Friday in May. May. Last Friday in May is typically the end. Um, we, Which is May 25th this year. Right, and we've been in session functionally for something like 10 of the last uh, – 13 months since or, February of 2017. Yeah, we had With we a got a slight break last summer. June, yeah. July and August off, something yeah, like that. We had June off last summer. Well, I mean, but we weren't back in special until September, were there we? There was a lot of preparation. Right. right there were Supreme right. Court cases. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're all pulling our hair out in in this awesome room here uh, in the Capitol. Um, let's talk about the big thing that has to get done. Uh, the, the state budget, Senate Bill 1600, has come out. It's been seen. You can find it on non-doc linked a million times. Um, Republicans are celebrating this as a good budget. Uh, many They're saying that uh, this is the best budget many of them have voted on since they've been here in the last four, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, what are you guys' take on the budget? And let's, let's kind of uh, look how that plays out um, before signing die. Well, I think, uh, you know, for those that are saying that it's the best budget, I'm guessing the reason why they're saying that is that it's one of the first budgets where you're not seeing widespread cuts across uh, right. agencies. And so <laughs> yeah. that's it's the first time that many of these legislators have been able to actually appropriate new dollars. Uh, th that is attributed to two reasons. One is the revenue package that was passed uh, this year that raised um, around $500 million or so uh, in, a, in a revenue package. The uh, I believe Common Education ended up with $480 million in new, new dollars. Yeah, almost a 20% increase in this year's fiscal and the, the proposed fiscal budget in Senate Bill 1600. Which which is a dramatic, which is a, a massive increase. I mean, we've yeah. never seen and, and, anything. And like actually, that. I should take, to take that walk that a step back. They've actually already passed the education budget going for FY19 at this point. So right. yeah, this is just the remainder of that. Yeah, and it's, so there's other state agencies that had, um, you know, pretty much every state agency had an increase. Now, much of that was related to the $2,500 public employee raises, which right. weren't for every state employee, but for for many. And then there were other agencies that got uh, a little bit of additional money. Um, as as well uh, on there and and uh, there's again on, on non doc there's uh, not only a breakdown of all this but even some audio of Senator Treat explaining um, that whole situation um, the, the the other uh, you know aspect of this budget but also really segue into next year's budget is the fact that uh, the economy is just improving and so uh, you know there there have been past years in which that that uh, revenue package would have all been eaten up by the the revenue failure dollars we would have been in such a hole but the good news is is that we weren't in that situation this year we actually had a little bit new money to to play with so they were able to allocate all of the uh, tax revenue to n new purposes and, and mainly uh, education 
so, but going forward uh, in talking with budget leaders, they feel very confident about next year and where the economy and where collections are. Uh, so I think going, going forward next year, uh, hopefully there's going to be, you know, new money, but this is a, this is a large budget. I think, um, I'm trying to remember the, the total, uh, budget, uh, Ryan, you may, you may have that. Yeah. Just North of seven and a half billion um, so state seven, appropriated dollars, seven billion five hundred and forty five million. Uh, and uh, seventy five thousand seven hundred nineteen, which is a increase over last uh, year, nearly eleven percent, ten point nine two percent overall increase. So and that's in state appropriated dollars. So that's a pretty that's a pretty significant budget increase. Uh, you know, a larger budget than they had in years past. So I'm sure that's why most people feel a lot better about it. Yeah, and I and. J- one thing Ryan said a couple of times I think is really important. That's the appropriated dollars. So there's money that comes, quote unquote, off the top. There's federal dollars that come in. Um, you know, let's there's health care grants. There's money that comes into the Department of Health and then vanishes. I mean, no, I, but I mean, there's a bunch of um, ways in which that budget is actually larger. Right. And I, and I don't know the specific total for this year's overall budget off the top of my head, but I know in most years that number comes in north of $20 billion and 20 to $25 billion range. So that this is only you know, a quarter or so portion of that overall um, budget that we see with federal dollars. And like you said, other money's off the top. This is just strictly the money that lawmakers have in the capital have the power to divvy up to each agency. Yeah. And that's always a big, big question is whether there should be more lawmaker discretion uh, or, or not. Uh, so that's, you know, I, th- I think there are people who are uh, pleased with that. You know, the interesting thing is, uh, we got a couple minutes left. The interesting thing is we never had our moment of catharsis as a state for the victory of, of the education funding that happened. It wasn't as much as some people wanted, uh, but it was also much larger than the education funding increases in West Virginia where there'd been a teacher walkout and strike. Um, and so it's very interesting, you know, this, this law, as you talk about why there's so much more money, uh, part of the reason is that that gigantic uh, uh, education r- uh, package. Um, and, and yet, if you went around and asked a bunch of educators, I don't really think people are all that thrilled. Um, it's not like suddenly the legislature's approval um, skyrocketed, uh, even though teachers are functionally going to get between a 5000 and an $8,300 raise. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to delve too deep, but um, I, <clears throat> I think that um, uh, whether all of the groups who were involved with that, including the legislature, um, were aware of that or not, the end game at the time, the end game was always the June primaries, the August runoffs, and the November general elections. And I think everyone involved in this entire process is now aware that that's ultimately the end game of this. The legis- some of the legislators are arguing that this is the best budget that they've ever that they've ever seen in their time at the Capitol. Um, they're going to get to take that message to their voters in June, August, and November. And those who pushed for the increase in revenue are going to get to take their message to those same primary primary runoff and general election voters in June, August, and November, and we'll see who wins. And there'll be Republicans uh, who go after um, Republicans. Republicans who voted right. for these tax increases. They'll take their message, which is, uh, you know, why do we elect these rhinos, these Republicans in name only, to come up here and raise our taxes? And, and I think there will also be a group of Republicans who didn't 
vote for the tax increases who have Republicans who did that go after them. So yep. it, it will be a two-way street. Um, the June to August primary to runoff time period is going to be a the build up to June and then June to August is going to be a very interesting deal to watch. The good news is we're going to do a new podcast on that shortly. So we're going to focus a lot on the legislative filings because a a record number of candidates filed. And we're really excited about that. Uh, Let's kind of move. Brian, you're about to say something. Let's sum up where we want to get to. I was just going to say that as wrapping up the budget and and talking about, because I think you you hit the nail on the head that was really interesting for, for people that spend their time trying to understand the realities of the budget situation in the state of Oklahoma, the realities of being able to raise taxes, all of these type of things. I think for most of those people, they would say that the education community got quite a victory this year. Educators don't feel that way. And I think that the reason why educators don't feel that way is there is some bent up just hostility about past actions. But in the context of what's realistic, you know, we have this conversation a lot of times about managing expectations with clients and all those type of things. Uh, you know, it's all relative. And when you consider that pretty much every amount of money that was raised in new taxes went to education or public employee pay raises, and, and you have health care you have transportation, you have public safety, you have a lot of these groups that did not get any massive increases. Uh, you'll see across the board some things, for instance, the healthcare authority uh, on paper shows a big bump, but that is largely attributed to having to pick up the federal uh, loss of money for the graduate medical programs at, at OU and OSU. So it, on paper, on a spreadsheet, it looks like a big increase. In reality, uh, it, it really is not. And so, it's a, yeah, it's a drain on the state coffers because <laughs> we lost federal funding because we weren't operating. We didn't have permission to operate the way we were operating for the last seventeen years. I mean, just astronomically. So, so it's just an interesting situation in which, uh, you know, uh, those that I think are very, that's why I think lawmakers feel good about the budget education community does not. Uh, I think that's just somewhat a a difference in, um, uh, you know, what's reality and what's, what's, uh, what, what, what's idealistic and what's realistic. Okay. Each of you has 15 seconds to say what you are looking forward to watching in the last week of session. Potentially, last week. Signy die, uh, <laughs> which is the uh, end of the last day of session, and and uh, what what we are hoping for is that on May fourth is what legislators are shooting towards getting off, uh, getting out on May fourth, which would be. Uh, I've I've been lobbying since 1999. They have never gotten out more than a week early. If they got out May fourth, then for me that would be quite a victory. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll second Brian on signy die, but you know, as we sit here today, um, we're one day past the Senate passage of Senate Bill 1600, um, so we obviously are most likely by the time our listeners are hearing this, the bill will have passed out of the House um, a week ahead of a potential signy die on May 4th, and that's really kind of the big. That's like you said, the last thing they have to get done. So what they what they do in that last week, what they try to cram in and get through the conference committee process, that'll be interesting to see and what all falls by the wayside with them getting out of here three weeks earlier than anticipated. A lot of stuff could really appear, and we haven't even talked about criminal justice reform, but that uh, really got wrapped up this week. The governor just earlier today signed a bunch of those bills. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see how the session wraps up. And by that I mean typically when a budget deal is reached, the the governor, the um, leadership of the House and Senate come together and do a big announcement. 
um, uh, congratulating each other themselves, the state of Oklahoma, et cetera, we've not seen that this year. Um, we see a, uh, a wrap-up press release or at least statement amongst those three interested groups talking about the accomplishments of the session. We've not seen that this year um, either as they round the corner and head toward the finish line. I'll be really interested to see the, um, uh, the tone of the end of the, um, the, the special session. That'll, this, be, this session. that'll be really interesting. Uh, but before we wrap up, I think that, that as we sit here today, this is going to air on Monday. And so this is going to be a true test of prognostication. And yeah. that is the we're sitting here the day after the Thunder just had a historic comeback and, and got back in this series three games to two. We head back to Utah. So I'm going to start off. Ryan, are the Thunder, is, will the Thunder win this series? Yes oh, yeah, or no? Thunder and seven, easily. Spencer? Thunder and seven, no doubt. Well, I'm gonna have to go Thunder and seven. It sounds like that's what we're doing. I think it depends if they um, buy any, you know, last minute uh, advertising on Nondoc, and that'll probably be the karma they need. Uh, so, just to end this thing up, the one thing that by the time uh, this airs, you'll, there'll be an article on Nondoc about uh, the medical marijuana issue, and that is something that could happen. Uh, in this final week of session. It could not as well. We're not really sure. There is an effort to try to pass some framework for the uh, head of the state question. Um, but as marijuana is something that um, has a tendency to make you hungry, uh, I think it's probably time for us to remind everybody to follow us uh, on your Apple podcasts, on Podbean, any of your other platforms. Uh, rate us, review us, share us. Uh, thank you so much for the support. Listen to past episodes and enjoy this brief interview that I conducted earlier with uh, uh, State Representative Mickey Dollins as he explains um, something uh, really impressive that he accomplished in the spring of 2009. Um, you disclosed the fact that uh, at some point in your life you took and won the 72-ounce steak challenge at the, what's the name of that restaurant? The Big Texan in Amarillo, Texas. Okay, I'm going to take you back to spring break of 2009. <laughs> we were coming home, I was uh, coming home from a, a ski trip in New Mexico had been skiing for about two days, was very, very hungry. Stopped into the Big Texan. I paid 130 bucks, signed a contract, said if you get out of your chair, if you throw up, you'll lose. I was like, I've got this. I wasn't expecting to sit on a stage in front of everyone who were laughing at me and kind of ridiculing me. Uh, my dad was watching on webcam, so I started in at it. But before I get to that part, I should say my strategy. I had a strategy. I knew I had to get it <laughs> cooked medium rare because I didn't want to chew too much. They were trying to get me to drink a bunch of beers. And I said, no, I'm not drinking anything and no salad dressing. So the steak comes out. I start in on that. I go for my sides, baked potato, five, uh, a cocktail shrimp. Um, there's a dinner roll and I believe like corn on the cob. So I start in on it and I'm kind of like making it proportional, uh, eating all of it. And then about 40 minutes into it, it hits me. I was like, I can't, I can't finish this. My dad watching me on webcam calls me up and says, son, you've got to get mad at that steak. So I put my silverware down and I just start eating. I go savage on the steak. And it came down to 59, 58, two seconds to go. I had tears down my eyes, miserable. But in the end, it was worth it. They gave me back my money. I walked out of there with a 4XL extra large T-shirt that I wear back when I, when I go back home, or not home, but go to my dad's place in New Mexico, stop in, wear the shirt, get a good seat by by the by the uh, booth where people take on the challenge and uh yeah it's always fun to go in there we're in the i'm in the record book um i forgot what date it was it was in 2009 the year that smu went to the hawaii bowl and i got a sack on 
Colin Kaepernick when he was playing in Nevada. So that's pretty good. So do you think that you can out eat anybody in the legislature? Well, I will take on that challenge if anyone wants to, um, you know, challenge me at uh, steak eating contest. As long as you're buying, I'll do it. <laughs> that sounds good. We'll get some more advertisers. We'll get FKG to do it. So, Representative Dollins, thank you so much, and uh, happy eating. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm going to get in there and vote. Appreciate it. How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with Nondoc.com, produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com.